The following podcast is a production of Hardly Awesome Studios in association with the network. Find us at BICBP-radio.com. Thank you for joining us today, where Chris and I will bring you some truly odd stories from the history. Finally. Uh, we, finally. Finally. Yes. We'll finally do it. Uh, we've tried to do this episode for two weeks now. Uh, <laughs> fingers crossed that this would work. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, it's starting to rain here. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to run middle. It's going to wait till we just about to start our stores and all of a sudden your internet's just gone. Just gone. Uh, that's going to happen. Uh, oh, we man. appreciate all you listening and being patient for sure. Oh, man. Uh, but uh, before we get into that, we do have some odd, we just do have an odd tale to, to bring to you of something that's happened recently. Uh, Chris, do you still have it in front of you? Because I don't have it in front of me. Um, let me see. It is a New York uh, Post article that you sent us. Astrophysicists believe alien tech may have crashed into pacific ocean oh man so this is what it says it says a top scientist is plotting a mission to find what he believes is alien technology lying at the bottom of the pacific ocean so here's the thing he's a controversial astrophysicist so he must be like the dude uh on the history channel with the hair up in the with air the hair yeah you know what i mean a controversial astrophysicist uh avi Loeb believes an interstellar object that crash landed on earth in 2014 was some some form of spacecraft uh the u.s space command report released last week confirmed the object was from another star system the agency concluded that the projectile which streaked across the sky off the coast of manis island papua new guinea was a meteor professor Loeb, however is having none of it he claimed on wednesday that the object could have been built by extraterrestrials quote our discovery of an interstellar meteor heralds a new research frontier. The Harvard astronomer wrote in an essay for the debrief. The fundamental question is whether any interstellar meteor might indicate a composition that is unambiguously artificial in origin. Better still, perhaps some technological components would survive the impact. That's right. Aliens is what he's trying to say. Yeah, there's more that he talks about what he's done in his past, and he's he's researched this for a while. He heads up the Galileo Project, which aims to establish a network of advanced Galileo Galileo telescopes. Galileo Galileo Galileo. Galileo. (laughs) I think it's Amadeus. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Uh, But anyway, yeah, dude, what do you think about this? So he's he's trying to mount a. a, a a a research thing to go out there and look for this, right? Well, most we're checking it out, obviously. And uh, now, since why is he con- does it say why he's controversial? That's uh, the thing I'm very uh, I'm wondering about because I've been just honest. Never apparently, heard he attends a lot of his meetings pantsless. No, let me see here. Oh well, then he's just you know 
following what he's that's how i do zooms so um it says that he spent decades studying astronomy and more recently has trained his sights on the possibility that life exists beyond earth his bold claims frequently make headlines and he has faced criticism from others in his field over his outlandish extraterrestrial theories so that's what it must be he must have some outlandish theories in terms of well, i want to know what those are i'm very curious i have to look that up well, later here's one okay oh, oh, oh here we go oh same thing it's um the possibility they it says that he, he repeatedly claims that an interstellar object that zipped through the solar system in 2017 was technology sent by aliens i think it's that that remember that one rock that went by that people were like what yes. is that that super yep. long rock I think that's what this is because it's, I don't know how to pronounce it. It's spelled O U M U A M U A. Ow, mama. Ow, mama. Ow, mama. Happy Ow, mama's day. That's <laughs> all you Ow, mama's out there. Yeah. Because <laughs> so many scientists have rubbished his outlandish claims, branding them rubbish, cavalier rubbish. and irresponsible. Um, okay. Interesting, right? Well, I'll tell you which one to be more fun at parties. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, it'd be awesome, right? Wouldn't it? So here's the thing. We've we talked about this at nauseum, the fact that the Pentagon and the government in the past couple of years have released troves and troves of things now, yeah. basically saying, yes, there are such things as unidentified flying objects, things we don't know. Uh, and many of them, we've got to be honest, they're probably not from Earth, right? Right. Yeah. So now we've got this dude saying, I'm going to take an expedition out to the Pacific and prove that at the bottom of the ocean is this thing that was actually a spacecraft. Now, what if he does? Well, it's also it's going to be expensive for one. There's no way that's cheap. Right. Uh, and just finding it in the middle of the ocean is also even if you know where it landed doesn't mean that's where it's at when it right. comes to the ocean. Uh, so even just finding it could be a big deal. But I'm all for trying. I mean, we've, uh, we, you know, we've looked for less. Uh, so who knows? Who knows? Uh, I'm very excited about it. Um, uh, but uh, Chris, uh, today yeah. we've each brought a odd tale. Uh, my odd tale involves three people throughout history. Mm -hmm. uh, so this is kind of early history, I would say. So when does yours take place? Mine takes place in 1967. So yours is way later than mine. Do you want me to go first then? Uh, yeah, sure. Go ahead. All right. So what I decided to do since uh, uh, we just recently passed, uh, this would have been recorded on the weekend of Easter uh, originally. <laughs> yeah. uh, so this one, <laughs> so I just note that. Don't you I hate time-sensitive stories? <laughs> and then we're like, oh, God dang it. The time has passed. So I found uh, three saints, uh, three real saints. These people were sainted, uh, who may or may not have been real saints if you catch my drift uh, they were oh, yeah the real saints but maybe uh, some of the stuff they did not real saintly no you know that type of thing so let's start with saint augustine of hippo uh or hypo i think it's hippo it looks like it's hippo so i want to say hippo uh he was around from the year 354 to 450 oh. around in there yep it's a long time ago um because of his writings of course He's one of the main reasons for uh, Catholic confessionals. He's the one that kind of started that. He says you should go confess the, your sins and that type of thing. So, you know, if you know, I've, I've never once been into a Catholic uh, establishment of any sort, but I can tell you just from movies and everything, you go into the, the box, 
and you tell the the uh the priest in the other box hey uh i touched myself last night or whatever <laughs> i mean that's that would be what mine would be literally every time uh <laughs> At some point, they're going to be like, Johnny, that's no longer a sin. You don't have to keep telling us that. Yeah. Like, I know. <laughs> I'll be back tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. At this point, it's a it's an issue of pride. You know, like, <laughs> how many days in a row? <laughs> I'm trying to break a record, Father. <laughs> Bear with me. I'm finally doing something with my life. <laughs> What's the record? 785 <laughs> days. We're only three days in. Oh, God. This is, All this of a sudden, <laughs> yeah, this is going to be really hard, Father. See what I did there? <laughs> <laughs> oh God! All right. Oh wait. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> Didn't mean to hijack the. No, I love it. I. <laughs> but uh, you know, he may not have been the saint that he was, despite being given that moniker of a saint. Uh, he himself would go on to confess. Uh, that in his lifetime, he was guilty of the following things. He had stolen things. Uh, he really loved to uh, an absurd amount of uh, gold and money, which is against the Ten Commandments. So are you thinking that's what he's stealing, the gold and money? Because I'm thinking, what are you stealing back in those days? He's stealing like a, 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 a an apple off the like the little food cart in the little something valuable, or right? something. You I think I mean? it's something valuable. I stole yeah, this dude's valuable. chicken. That lived down the street. Yeah. <laughs> there was Johnny over there choking his. Uh, <laughs> I'll see you tomorrow, Father. <laughs> uh, oh, and also, this little thing um, adultery. Uh, he had, oh, okay, that's a big numerous, one. he had numerous uh, illegitimate children. Uh, so that may or may not be one of the things he was confessing about. Uh, he, <laughs> Uh, he was very famous for the following quote, uh, grant me chastity and continence, but not yet a wink, wink. <laughs> oh God. So there's that guy. All right. So we're going to move on to St. Vladimir Vladimir from 1956 to 1015 is when St. Vladimir was around. Wait, blah, blah. Uh, 956. Is that what you said? Yes. 956. Okay. Yep. 956. Uh, Vladimir was considered a mighty warrior uh, with a lot of people actually saying that he was the spiritual founder of Russia. Mm, okay. Uh, he, uh, he would actually, uh, how did he become a saint? He sent out numerous representatives at one point when he was kind of in charge of what would become Russia. Uh, and he was doing this to decide which religion was best, right? Like he was kind of uh, at a crisis. He was trying to decide which religion was for him. And he uh, chose Christianity and he converted his kingdom as such. Back then, you really didn't have a choice. Uh, whatever your king said you was, that's what you was. Can you imagine? Uh, Can you imagine like you're you're sitting, you're doing your prayer the way you're used to doing your prayer. Maybe yeah. you're doing sacrifices or whatever. And yeah. then there you just blast this horn. And you hear, hear ye, hear ye. And there's the de declaration in the middle of the town. He's like, from now on, there's no more this. And this is what we do. And you're like, <laughs> I just bought like all those goats for the next three weeks of sacrifices. Like, what am I doing yeah. with these goats now? Dude? Oh, man. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so that's how he's a saint. But Good also, Lord. also, uh, this guy, 
happened to have 800 concubines, uh, several wives. Uh, he would put up multiple statues of pagan gods, uh, which is a big no-no for Christianity, right, by the way. Uh, and speaking of goats, Chris, uh, oh no, religious rituals that involved human sacrifices. Oh my god! <laughs> what uh, a do, do as I say, not as I do. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you know what? He's probably like covering all the bases. He's like, all right, so. Just to make sure I'm going to get where I need to go, right? That land yep. of opportunity at the end. What do I need to do as a Christian? Cool, cool, cool. Yeah. So, yeah, cool. Uh, and what do I do if I want to go? Okay. So, kill that guy. Cool. I'll do that. Uh, yeah. You know what I mean? He's just covering all his bases. So, I may become Catholic. Uh, Put up some I've, statues. I've decided I might become Catholic because I'm pretty sure uh, that all I need to do is after every time uh, I've touched myself, I just tell the priest about it. And that's an easy get out of jail free card for me because I, I have no shame. Yeah, uh, so go. Uh, I'm going to finish on uh, this one. This person, I think, deserves their own documentary who I'm about Uh-oh. to talk about next. Uh-oh. That is St. Olga of Kiev uh, around from 890 to 969. She married the prince of Kiev uh, who would end up being brutally executed. By the Drevlians. Uh, the Drevlians were, I looked this up, uh, they were a, uh, I have handwritten notes if you hear the paper. Uh, the Drevlians were a tribe in the of the early East Slavs, kind of around Russia, Ukraine area. So that's, they were people there. Uh, they came in and they brutally murdered her husband. So since he's out, she's in, right? First thing on her agenda, uh, we're getting that sweet, sweet revenge, baby. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? She's going to, she's going to, she was really upset obviously she actually loved her husband which to me uh that seems rare for back then yeah <laughs> uh so uh, the first thing she did was she found and captured all 20 of uh, her husband's murderers and she had them buried alive threw them in the dirt alive and they died that way i can't think of them i mean there's terrible ways to die but that's got to be up there oh god but Chris, she wasn't done. Uh, she's not done. She's still pretty upset. Uh, she offered the so the next thing she did is she offered the Drevlian's nobility, right? She goes to them and says, Hey, okay, uh, you killed my husband. I, you know, I may have kind of done some stuff too to get back at you. Uh, let's uh, let's talk this out. You know, let's yeah. let's be friends, let's talk some peace. Why can't so, we be friends? Yeah. Uh, and so she invited them to Kiev. She said, hey, come here to Kiev. We'll work this out. Uh, so a lot of the nobility from, from there said, okay, we'll do that. So they get there, right? They get to Kiev. And it's a fairly long journey. And they need to go wash up, right? Hey, we just got here. We need to freshen up before dinner. So she goes, okay, yeah, there's a bathhouse over there. It's a really nice bathhouse. So all of them go in there. She has the door locked behind them as they're freshening up and just sets it on fire. That's right. She sets it on fire and uh, they're done. Uh, they're finished. Dang. They burn alive. So she's buried people alive and burned people alive. And she's not done. <laughs> Hell hath no fury, dude. That's right. You do not want to scorn a woman, especially this one. Uh, she would go on. She found the capital uh, of this place and burnt it to the ground. She just burned their capital and said, eh, don't think so. And I'm sure she wasn't like, 
I'm giving you all this amount of time to evacuate because I'm going to burn <laughs> your town down. I bet she didn't do that. I bet she was just like in the dead of night, went out there and was like, burn it down. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure it's what it was. Yeah. Uh, set it on fire. One of the ways I heard she set it on fire was she actually said, um, I forgot how she did it, but like they put this uh, stuff on these birds and when they flew over there, they caught on fire or something. It sounded awful for the birds. But uh, Chris, um, she was done after this, I think. And thankfully, because after this, she would attempt to convert uh, Kiev to Christianity and that's all it was needed. You know, you can do all this bad stuff and say, hey, we're Christians now. And uh, just like that, Boom. she was given sainthood. <laughs> Boom. Boom, you're a saint. That's all. That's all. Sainted. That's all, folks. That's crazy. So that was three people, uh, three saints who maybe uh weren't the most saintly. Hmm. Well then. That's an interesting one, man. I think I knew some of the Olga one. That sound that sounded familiar. I didn't I hadn't heard the other ones. Yeah. Um now I have one for you. So a uh, little peek behind the curtain. There was a chance that we might not have <laughs> recorded today anyway. Uh, to our listeners because <laughs> <laughs> the story I had written out was on a this big yellow legal pad I have that I use for work and I had it here at home when I was doing my research and I did it um, a couple of weeks ago I had it on that so I've had this it at work since this is legit this is legit our fifth or sixth attempt to record this this is no lie <laughs> that's why I'm laughing so hard at this but uh, so I get home and the, well, so for first thing, right, Johnny texts me. He's like, we're still good to go today, right? This is our third time, even in the past week, like yeah. four or five days having to kind of push it around. He's like, good to go today, right? And I'm thumbs up. Yep, we're doing this, man. I'm getting out of work, heading home. Let's do this. Um, I get home, you know, and I had to rush. I'm like, I got to get out right away, rush home, get here. I'm thinking to myself, let's hurry up, feed the dogs, get the animals fed, get let them out. Um, grab my, grab my little, you know, my bag that's got my laptop in it. And I'm like, where's my notepad? I'm like, Oh, <laughs> run upstairs. I'm like, Oh, that's right. It's in my desk at work. <laughs> so I decided, let me just find the articles that I used to, uh, do my research. And there was one that was really, there's a few of these that, um, that were really good, but one's really, really good. It's from the, it's from CBC news, Canadian broadcast. Um, Ooh, and hey. I also this past weekend, just to kind of refresh myself, I found that there was it was covered in. Um, well, I knew it was covered, but I found it on YouTube. Uh, Unsolved Mysteries. There's a segment on it. So, yeah, by the way, that stuff. theme song, that theme song is a, uh, as uh, the young kids say, is a banger to this day. It's a Things banger. Great. Um, all right. So CBC News, I am going to read this in pieces only because I don't want to give away the story until it comes down to what's happening. Right. Yeah. Uh, but this is an article written by Darren Bernhardt, May 19th, 2017. And here we go. Stan Mikulak can still vividly remember when his dad came home sick and injured after something happened in the Falcon Lake woods in Manitoba on the May long weekend of 1967. I recalled seeing him in a bed. He didn't look good at all. He looked pale and haggard, said Mikulak, who was nine years old at the time and was allowed to see his dad for a couple of minutes on the day after what soon became known as the Falcon Lake incident. And there was a smell. When I walked into the bedroom, there was a huge stink in the room, like a real horrible aroma of sulfur and burnt motor. It was all around and it was coming out of his pores. 
It was bad, said Mikalek. I was very afraid. My dad had been injured and I didn't know anything about it. He told CBC News in recalling that Saturday, 50 years later. Within a couple of days, however, not only did he know more, so did much of the public. The story about his dad being burned by a UFO ran in the Winnipeg Tribune newspaper. And Mikulak says that's when everything pretty much hit the fan. So here's the encounter. Ready for this? Yes. Stefan Mikulak was an industrial mechanic by trade and an amateur geologist who liked to venture into the wilderness around Falcon Lake, about 150 kilometers east of Winnipeg, to prospect for quartz and silver. He had staked some claims the prior year and set out on the May long weekend in 67 to explore some more. On May 20th, uh, Stefan was near a vein of quartz. So you, you know what that means when I say a vein of quartz, right? Yeah, of course. It's a vein that has quartz in it. Yeah. <laughs> so for listeners who don't know, um, in geology, there's people who go and, you know, they, they bring their little picks and stuff and break off pieces of rocks from, from the earth. And, and, um, and a vein is typically just a line of, of, of this type of whatever type of, you know, mineral going through the rock. So he found a, a, a vein of quartz through this area. He knew, he, you know, he didn't know how big it was. He knew he wanted to come back. So in May of 67, he's heading back out there to work on it and see what he can, you know, what he can dig up. He was near this vein of quartz along the pre-Cambrian shield. So this is another thing. So pre-Cambrian is an era that, they say, um, geologists say, when you look at the rocks and the formations from that time, it dates all the way back to the beginnings of Earth before there was actually like living things on Earth, all the way up until um, hard shelled creatures started showing up on Earth. Okay. So he had found this vein near, uh, of quartz, near the Precambrian Shield when the 51 year old was startled by a gaggle of nearby geese that erupted into clattering honks. Uh, you've heard geese before, right? Yes. Yeah. Honk, honk, gaggle, gaggle, that honk. can shock you if it's dead silent, you're working, then all of a sudden they're like, wah, 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 Yeah, they're wild. Flying. Yeah. Yes. According to Especially his account. Especially if you hit one with a golf ball. It was an accident. Oh, poor But geese. they don't like it. We didn't mean to do it. But it <laughs> technically, it was a great shot, if you want to be honest. But uh, <laughs> geese did not care for it. Geese was fine for the record. But. Um, According to his accounts, as reported in newspapers at the time and since repeated in books, magazines and on TV shows like Unsolved Mysteries, Stefan looked up and saw two cigar shaped objects with a reddish glow hovering about 45 meters away. One descended, according to Stefan's account, landing on a flat section of rock and taking on a more disc, uh, more of a disc shape. The other remained in the air for a few minutes before flying off. So that was always my thought too. People always look at UFOs in the air and and, and describe them as cigar shaped, right? But then when yeah. they get closer, they're obviously discs. So it's obviously perspective, the way you're looking at it, right? Right. Um, so this thing comes down. Now he sees there's this 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 disc shaped thing in front of him, about seven, uh, 45 minutes, 45 meters away, right? Believing it to be a secret U.S. military experimental craft, Stefan set back and sketched it over the next half hour. Then he decided to approach it, later recalling the warm air and smell of sulfur as he got closer, as well as a whirring sound of motors and a hissing of air. He also noted a door open on the side with bright lights inside, and he said he heard voices muffled by the sounds from the craft. He said he called out, offering mechanical help to the Yankee boys if they needed it. The voices went quiet, but did not answer. So Stefan tried in his native Polish. 
then in Russian, and finally in German. Only the whir and hiss of the craft responded. He claims he went closer and noted the smooth metal of the shape with no seams. He then looked into the bright doorway, pulling on the welding goggles he used to protect his eyes while chipping at the rocks during prospecting. So I'm going to show you real quick uh, a picture of what his, because he took a picture with the, with the welding goggles on. So you can take a look and see what that looks like. So he's wearing those. Okay. Yes. Yep. See as he's, as he's going out there. So those he's wearing look, those. Those look alien. <laughs> Sounds right. right. <laughs> um, inside, Stefan said he saw light beams and panels of various colored flashing lights, but could not see anyone or any living thing. When he stepped away, three panels slid across the door, uh, across the door opening and sealed it. He reached to touch the craft, which he said melted, melted the fingertips of the glove he was wearing. So this is here is a picture of what the craft looked like, his sketch. That's his sketch of it. Yeah. So I'm showing Johnny a picture of what's the, the typical shape of a UFO, a UFO that typically people would call hubcap shaped UFO, right? Yeah. Yes. That's the old school hubcap uh, on the side on, on one of the sides. You can see like the opening of where the door would have been. And then to the left of that, there's this grid of dots. Right. Yep. Okay. That comes into play here. So he reached out to touch the craft, which he said melted the fingertips of the glove he was wearing. The craft then began to turn counterclockwise. And Stefan says he noticed a panel that contained a grid of holes. Shortly afterward, he was struck in the chest by a blast of air or gas that pushed him backwards and set his shirt and cap ablaze. He ripped away the burning garments as the craft lifted off and flew away. Isn't that crazy? That's wild. So let me see. I got to move this out of my way so I can do this. This is what his shirt looked like after they went back and recovered it. Yeah, you can definitely tell that it's been burned. And it's got that grid-shaped holes kind of burned yep, into it. It, looks like, it almost looks like somebody took an iron, you know what I mean, and burned yes. it, like a, a, an iron yeah. on it. Um, like an awful iron almost. And this oh, is wow. what he looked like afterwards. I've I'm showing, seen this picture, yes. I'm showing Johnny a picture of this dude laying in bed, and he's got all of these marks on his his belly in, in the he shape has of the same, grid. Yeah, he has the same, the same grid marks on his stomach. Yeah. He's laying there. This is actually a pretty famous picture uh in, in ufos so if you've yeah. gotten the hardcore ufos uh, like i have or chris has i guarantee you've seen this picture before but man it's a pretty wild picture disoriented and nauseous stefan stumbled through the forest and vomited he eventually made his way back to his motel room in falcon lake then caught a bus back to winnipeg he was treated at a hospital for the burns on his chest and stomach that later turned into raised sores in a grid-like pattern and for weeks afterwards he suffered from diarrhea, headaches, blackouts, and weight loss. Once the story was out, the RCMP, a.k.a. Royal Canadian Mounted Police, uh, the Air Force, the media, various government agencies, and hordes of gawking members of the public descended on Mikulak's small River Heights bungalow in Winnipeg. It just flipped our lives over, says his son, who, who wrote this book. So his son wrote a book, which is the reason there was this article. His son wrote a book called When They Appeared, Falcon Lake 1967, The Inside Story of a Close Encounter. Um, but he talks about it in the book that this just changed their lives. All of a sudden, you know, they were just kind of thrust into the spotlight. It took several years before it would die down. But after that, until the day he died in 1999 at the age of 83, Stefan believed he never should have said a thing. But at the time, he felt it was his duty. He wanted others, if they were to see the same thing, to avoid it and not get hurt. Yeah. 
Uh, it says that though he wished he hadn't said anything, Stefan never backed away from the story. He also never claimed to have seen aliens and still considered it a secret military craft. If you asked him what it was he saw, he could describe it in intimate detail, but he would never say, oh, it was extraterrestrial because there was no evidence to prove that. He might ask, what do you think I saw? But right up until he died, his story never changed one iota, nothing about it or how he told it. Uh, one of the things that it's not in this article, but I saw in the um, Unsolved Mysteries segment, he, he's on it. He's old. He's like in his 80s, maybe, or early, late 70s, early 80s. So he's in it and he talks about his experience firsthand. Um, but he also talks about that these these little grid light things that you see on his belly there, they would heal, right? And they would end up going away. However, if you ran your fingers across his belly there, you would feel just underneath the skin, like the little bumps, right? And so wow. once in a while, they would return, they would become sores again. And they found out that for some reason under his skin there, it was kind of like, um, you know, like when you have a, a sore and a scab grows over, right? Yeah. It was under the skin. And once in a while, it would show itself. Under it the come, skin. <laughs> it would come up. <laughs> so um, there's that. Here's another picture of, of this, right? Yeah. Yep. It says that um, after he healed and he got better, he ended up taking going out with a bunch of friends to the site where it happened to show them where it happened. And they found that the vegetation all around the area where this thing had landed um, on the rim, like the rim of the rocks where, the, where it had, you know, was fine. Vegetation was fine. But everywhere where it had been sitting, you know, you could tell the vegetation had died, that there had been intense heat in that area. And upon further investigation, they found pieces of metal that were melted into the rock. So it took high temperatures to melt that metal into the rock and they were able to pull the rock away. And obviously with his tools, he was able to chip the metal away. I'm going to show you a piece of the metal that they found there. Um, this metal was tested and found to be extremely radioactive uh, as was a lot of the metals that were found in that area where the UFO was supposed to have landed and blast off from. Um, up to the point, like uh, by the time this was on Unsolved Mysteries, the radioactivity had died to the, you know, it wasn't as radioactive anymore. You could actually handle it. But yeah, this is one of the pieces of metal that he found. Um, it looks like it's, it looks like a piece of metal that may have been in the shape of an, a W and then kind of stretched out for listeners yeah. uh, at home. And it's kind of decroded. It's kind of like rusted looking with a, yeah, uh, some got, holes got in it. a couple it. holes in it. Yeah. yeah. It's uh, about the, the size, size of a $2, uh, whatever a Canadian $2 piece looks yeah. like. It's I don't know if that's like a loony three. or a I forgot what, what are the, those called? I forgot Showing ignorance here. Yeah. Hey. So there you go. Those there's just a, I wanted to give you some visuals with the picture today, but this was something that has never been explained. Uh, no one's ever been able to come out and said it was this or that. Um, you know, aside from the fact that he wished he'd never brought it up again, he, yeah. you know, the he had a lot of stuff that like you couldn't hide it. Newspapers were there to take pictures of what this burn was on his belly, you know. Man, yeah, uh, he certainly didn't seem like someone who was searching for fame for sure. Mm, no, and he never once, if he really wanted the fame, he could have just said, Oh, he was definitely aliens. Uh, yeah. He never once said that. So, pretty odd, man, pretty odd. But it looked very, like a uh, UFO, our typical UFOs, right? Yeah, um, for sure. And obviously, for me, it feels like that that gridded area was some sort of propulsion system. That was, was how it propelled, you know, set off whatever it needed to 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 fly away. And unfortunately, yeah. he was too close and got burned. Yeah, man. Man. Oh, well. Very odd. Very, very odd. Well, that's been That's Odd. Uh, thank you for joining Chris and I on today's episode. We very much appreciate each and every uh, one of you. Uh, we're going to get out of the clubhouse here. Uh, again, also, we'll 
recommend there's a Hulu documentary about the Stainer brothers, the story that I brought up uh, on this very show. I can't remember the name of it, but it's really new. It's brand new on there. And it's, uh, I think it's a Hulu exclusive. I recommend it. It's uh, three episodes long. Uh, each episode's under an hour. So you can knock it out pretty quick. And it's pretty well done. So I recommend yep. it. Uh, All righty, yeah. Johnny. I'm out of here. I'm going to confessional. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm going to go commit that sin I've talked about earlier and then go to confessional. Uh, I don't go to confessional unless I've committed that sin. That's my thing. That's oh. uh, my kink. You happy that Zoom only cuts me off right here? That's right. Yep. That's right, right here. <laughs> this is getting really awkward. Uh, uh, thanks for listening. Uh, of course, as always, for Christopher Chavez, I'm Johnny Townsend, and we invite you to just stay. Uh, 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 uh.